Today's episode is sponsored by Root, Restoring Our Own Through Transformation. Root is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. Root's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to Root at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general-info at rootrj.org. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Kanisha Penniman sharing a birth that she thought would never be possible for her. While it was a journey with a unique set of challenges, she describes it as quick and fearless. Hello, Kanisha. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to see you today. Yes, welcome. <laughs> well, first, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family. Okay. Um, I am from Michigan. My husband is from Ohio, so we are um, naturally rivals. That's just how it is. <laughs> um, we currently live in, Ohio- in California. I'm sorry. We just moved here about three months ago, um, but I did have my son in Michigan. Uh, we have a fur baby named Link. He's a standard poodle and he's just as much work as the two-year-old who his name is Maverick, who is uh, like running around like crazy. Uh, I didn't think Terrible Twos was real. And then he became two and I was like, oh, it's a real thing. That's really how they act. Um, so I work uh, for a retail company. I'm a visual merchandiser. And then my husband works for the tech industry. So that's about it. <laughs> That's enough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No more. I don't need any more. <laughs> Nothing else added to it. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Yes. Um, so I want to just go back a little bit about, um, I guess, trying to conceive, even though we weren't trying to conceive at that point. I was 27. Um, I had went to a gyno because my uh, primary physician said, hey, it's time. Like you just keep pushing it and pushing it. And she's like, you need to go to a gyno. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm 27. It's about time. And so I go to a gyno and she didn't check me or anything. And literally her first words to me were, so you're 20. Um, I was 27, getting ready to turn 28. She says, you're 27 and you've never had a pregnancy scare. And I said, no, I've never had a pregnancy scare. I guess I'm just, you know, responsible. I don't know. And she's like, that's not normal. And just, it was very heartbreaking for me because out of all of my doctors, I've never had regular cycles. And even as a kid, um, while well, I had my menstrual period when I was 16, that's when it came in my, my primary physician never saw a problem with it. Um, and for her not to actually check me and just basically do blood work and tell me like, if you try and conceive, you're not going to be able to, it's going to be very difficult. Um, she even said that I could have ovarian cysts or cancer. And it was it was just like all of this crazy stuff that she said to me. And she didn't even do any type of internal exams. All she did was blood work. And she said, OK, we'll come back in two weeks and then we'll further talk about it. And so in my mind, I instantly got on the phone. I started crying to my mom, started crying to my fia- then fiance um, and saying, like, you know, I know we're not planning to have kids, but to have the option just ripped away from you 
is insane. And so I went back to my primary care physician, physician, and this was in July of 2018. And she was like, that's inappropriate. She was like, no one should, should say something like that to you and they have no basis or foundation for it other than the fact that you've never had a pregnancy scare at 27. I was like, I know it's insane. I was like, she doesn't, I could have been a virgin for 27. You don't know. And she was like, I've never heard anyone say anything like that. And she's like, don't ever go back to her. I'm going to recommend you to someone. And so I was like, okay. Uh, so after that, I kind of just didn't want to go back to any guy. knows. honestly, I kind of just, I shied away. Cause I was like, I don't want that type of negative energy. Cause I'm like, I feel fine. You're you telling me that I could have ovarian cancer just because I've never had a pregnancy scare is like wild. So I just didn't go to the gyno that she um, prescribed me to go to, or she recommended rather. So I was kind of just hanging out, whatever. And then October, I started getting really sick, which is really weird. Uh, Cause I'm not a sickly person, but like I couldn't eat anything. I was often nauseous. Like every time I tried to eat, I got sick and I was like, maybe I'm pregnant. <laughs> so I took a pregnancy test and was like, no, you're not pregnant. I said, okay, whatever. So this went on until December. And so it was getting around Christmas time and not my Christmas, my family's pretty huge. And so we always have like extensive Christmas dinners. And I was like, hey, I can't be sick during Christmas. I need to eat. Like that was my mindset. Like I need to be able to keep food in, keep food down. And so it's like, I'm going to go to my doctor. And so I finally went to my doctor and she's like, oh, let me, um, I'm going to, I want to take a pregnancy test because I'm going on vacation. And so I want to just have like a peace of mind that you're not pregnant. And I was like, I'm not pregnant. I took a pregnancy test two days ago and it was negative. I was like, I'm not pregnant. She was like, let me just try it just so I can have a peace of mind for myself. And I was like, if you want to waste your money, go ahead on. Fine. <laughs> so, um, I took the pregnancy test. I came in and we're talking about like, I know this is like TMI, but we're talking about like getting stool samples because I have really bad diarrhea. And she's like, oh yeah, just give me stool samples. And then like the nurse pops her head in and she hands the test to the doctor. My doctor looks at me and she's like, girl, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, there's a lot of urine samples up there. So I think we should just like retest it. Accidents happen. And that's literally what and she looked at me. She's like, are you are you serious? I was like, yeah, no, I just took a pregnancy test two days ago. It said negative. I think it was a mix up. <laughs> he's like, OK, we can try it out. And then she had a resident in there with her at the same time. So he's looking at me like, all right, this is awkward. And so then the nurse comes back in after they run and she said, nope, it's your urine. You're pregnant. And I was like, oh. I was going to ask for a puppy this year, not not a baby, but cool. Um, so that was really shocking and exciting because literally in July of that same year, I was being told that um, I couldn't conceive. I could have had ovarian cancer. And then literally months later, I was pregnant. <laughs> so it was like perfect timing. It was right around Christmas. So I like wrapped up the pregnancy test and put it in a box and gave it to Phil for Christmas. And so I always wanted to do that, which was odd. And I was like, oh, it just worked out. That's how I was going to pop the question, like pop the answer if you want me to show him. And so um, and I remember his first thing was like, oh my God, have we been safe? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. I wear seatbelts, I guess, whatever. And so we just, and that's literally his response is, have we been safe? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, so we go through the holiday season. I find out why I'm nauseous. Everyone finds out my family are pregnant. It's great. Uh, make a doctor's appointment. Um, my first doctor's appointment was January 14th. And it's so funny because I went in, we both went in, me and my fiance at the time, we we're thinking like, oh, we're just going to see like, you know, people always say it's a little pee on the, it's a little, it's a little blip. You can't really tell. And so that's what I thought I was going to see. And I walk in, I'm like, 
oh, we probably aren't going to see much. Like, it's going to be like a little blip on there. It's a little, little peanut or something. And literally, they do the ultrasound, and I see like a whole baby with a hand waving, like literally doing this in the womb. And I was like, what is happening? And so me and my fiance, so me and Phil look at each other, and we were like, this is a whole child. Like, he had it. Like, if I will literally show you the first ultrasound I had. When I tell you I was freaking out, I was like, he has like fully formed. He literally had a hand and an arm and fingers. And I literally just started crying. And we were like, what is happening? And my doctor was like, yeah, you're you're basically 14 weeks. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So then it goes from your 14 weeks and you're due in July and it's the beginning of January and I'm a planner. So I'm freaking out. And I was like, dude, we have a whole child. Like we didn't even have to go through the like stages of like going from like a peanut to like, I don't even know what those stages are because I had to skip all of that. My baby was like a full human. (laughs) She was insane. Um, So that was really fun. So we were 14 weeks pregnant. Um, we told our family how far along we were. We sent the ultrasound. Everyone was astonished because I was so sick. I literally lost all of this weight. Um, and so I got to find out the gender of my baby like two weeks later because I was like, we've had enough surprises. Okay, like my baby was off radar for two pregnancy tests or, well, pregnancy test, a home pregnancy test and what I thought was a false one for my doctor, which was right. Um, so he was like sneaking by and off radar. I was like, we don't need any more surprises. Um, so just give us the gender. And so we found out we were having a boy, which was really exciting. Um, and then things started to get a little hairy. Uh, at the end of January, my genetic testing came back fine. Um, but my father passed away when he was 32 years old and he died from um, heart failure. And my doctor, my OBGYN, my OBGYN, which is Dr. Prezado, who was the doctor that my um my family physician had referred me to my, the one that I never went to. So this is the doctor that I was supposed to meet um, after my whole situation with the first gynecologist. And so um, he was like, that's a little weird, you know, for a healthy 32 year old man to just pass away uh, from heart failure. And I was like, yeah, it's weird, but you know, I don't, we don't have any background. It was so long ago. It was in 1993. Um, the records was literally that he just had heart failure. Like there was nothing else to indicate um, any other signs of anything further. Um, so uh, Dr. Prezado, love him. Joseph Prezado, if anyone's in Michigan, he's a great, fantastic doctor. Uh, he was, he was one out of my husband and my doula. He was my rock. Okay. I'm not going to lie about that, man. Um, and so I was like, okay. Uh, so he was just very, he just thought it was very odd. So my initial genetic testing came back and everything was fine. And, um, unbeknownst to us, he had ran further genetic testing because for him, it was a red flag about what happened to my father. So he ran other genetic testing, but he didn't tell us about it because he was very much so, I'm not going to have you worry until I know there's something to worry about. And there's times where you'll see that pop up in my pregnancy or in, in, even in labor and delivery. And I'll share like how he didn't have me in a position of worry and fear all the time. He waited until it became an issue. And then we talked about it. Um, so, geez, I remember getting, he he had did blood work and he sent me results and he tried to call me. And for some reason, my phone just kept going to voicemail. And so I received a message saying that I um, was a carrier for DMD, which is uh, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is basically 
um, a mutation in my genes. And if you have a son, your son has a 50-50 chance of um, having the, not the mutation, but the actual disorder or the disease rather. And with that, it's basically just um, a progressive muscle like degeneration. (laughs) And so that was really, really hard uh, because it felt like, it was just really difficult. Um, Cause it just felt like I couldn't do the basic things like to carry my son properly. Oh God, I think I was gonna get so worked up about it. It's been so long. Um, and so we found out that I was a carrier and that math had a 50-50 chance. And they gave us the option to have an amnio done to see if he was a carrier. And I remember having it done and what was so disturbing about it is when I went in and I had it done, they bring you into this office and I had to go to a maternal fetal medicine specialist to have it done. And I remember her saying to me that you're 19 weeks because I was already so far along when I found out that you only have a few more weeks to find out because if you want to abort, you have time limits in Michigan. And I was just so shocked that, um, I don't know that she even said it. And it wasn't even something that we had thought about at that time. And she was just like, I just want you to know, like, you're already 19 weeks at, I think it was 22 or 23 weeks. She's like, you won't have the option. Um, and she's like, I just want you to know that if you are, if he is a carrier and you want to abort, like you're going to have to make a decision fast because you don't have that much time. And I said, okay. And I remember I used to go in his room because his crib was already done and I would cry. And I just felt like such a failure. And it was just really hard. Um, yeah so we got the amnio done and then we got the news that he didn't have it um and my doctor just said moving forward um if I have a daughter then she has a possibility of being a carrier but now that I know like we can also get her tested if she is a carrier so that way for the future if she wants to have kids she's kind of understands where she's at and what can happen um and that if I have another son I can go through the same process with having an amnio and seeing if he has it or not. Um, Or we can just kind of be in the dark. And we're information people. And my husband, we want to know all the facts all the time. Um, So it's just so you can prepare better. Because I think what we thought we were going to do was like, it was was too hard. But then once I felt him kick, because he was kicking at like 16 weeks. So once I like felt him kicking and like moving which it feels like little gas and it does but you know it's something I was like I can't get rid of him he has a personality he's already annoying like what am I I can't I love I love this little annoying guy you know what I mean so it was kind of like in that mindset and the crazy thing is once we had made the decision that no matter what the outcome was we weren't going to keep him because he he was already our person he was there was just no turning back we kind of had a release of knowing like if we, whatever the results were, we didn't care at that point. It just took time to get there. And I think it's just, it just needs to be known that it's okay to have those feelings of not knowing what you're going to do. And you shouldn't think of yourself as a bad person because no one, like it's so unexpected. You never know how you're going to react. And so 
um, for us, that was one of, I think that was like our biggest hurdle when we kind of realized like how strong we are together because that was the time when I really needed a lot of support and he was there for me and our family was there and it was really, really great. Um, so after all of that was over, <laughs> um, I had a pretty, pretty, as I say, normal pregnancy as far as everything else goes. The only thing that hit me that no one ever told me back about was leg cramps like that's a real thing like I would wake up in the middle of the night in pain in leg cramps I said no one ever said anything about leg cramps they only talk about like morning sickness and back pains and pelvic pains and no one said and for me it was the leg cramps like that was the end all be all like I just could not um with with the leg cramps and so my back my work was also pretty physical so I would wear like a little back brace but I had no shame about that the leg cramps was the just the thing that caught me off guard um so that was kind of it. And then at 35 weeks, we kind of ran into another hiccup. <laughs> so at 35 weeks, I woke up and I felt really wet. And I was like, mm, I probably peed on myself because it's a very common thing. You just, it, it happens, you know. And Maverick was always kind of like head down. So he always had a, like a foot in my rib. And so I just felt like he just had so much pressure there. And so... I went to work, actually went to work for a couple hours and my manager was like, I need you to go to the hospital because I can't have you going into labor at work. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm lifting mannequins. I'm okay. And she's like, please leave and just come back if you're fine. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I go to the hospital. I tell them what's happening. They say, okay. And then they put me on a monitor um, and she says, do you feel that? And I was like, oh no, I don't feel anything. I feel fine. And she's like, you're having contractions right now. And I was like, what do you mean I'm having contractions? I don't feel anything. She's like, you're having contractions. We're going to go head on and um, we're going to check you. And this was a Thursday because my doctor actually has his hospital days on Thursday. So um, it was it was hilarious. And so she checked me and she's like, okay. And she steps out. <laughs> so the nurse actually checks me and she steps out and they grab a, um, the doctor who's on call. I guess that's who she was. She comes in and she checks me. And she's like, you're four centimeters dilated. Now, mind you, I'm 35 weeks. I'm not feeling anything. I'm having just a great time. I'm like, I'm fine. Other than the back hurting thing, I'm good. And she's like, no, you're four centimeters, four centimeters dilating and you're having contractions right now. And I was like, I don't feel anything. <laughs> she's like, okay, well, your doctor's here. We're going to have him come in and check you just to be on the safe side. I'm like, okay, well, since I'm not feeling anything in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go home because they found out my water had not broken. It was urine. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, I'm going to go home after this, whatever. And so Dr. Pizzotto comes in. He says, Kanisha, that's not normal that you're four centimeters dilated and you're contracting. You're not feeling anything. And I was like, okay, so what's the next stage here? What are you saying <laughs> to me? And he's like, we're just, we're just going to observe you for a while and we're going to give you a steroid shot just in case. In my, in my mind, I said, okay, steroid shot just in case. Um, that's fine. And so this whole time I look back on my text messages to Phil and I realized I'm just the worst texter in like situations where I'm, I don't know, I wasn't stressed, but like, I guess someone else would probably be freaking out. And I was just like, oh yeah, I'm at the hospital. And I was like, oh, this is getting weird. Like these are literally text messages that I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, there's some dilated four centimeters. I was like, hmm, I wonder if I'm going to go home tonight. Oh no, you stay at work. It's fine. And then finally, <laughs> finally they come in. They're like, we're just going to admit you. And I was like, 
Phil, can you come to the hospital, please? <laughs> and so he gets to the hospital. They move us to a labor and delivery room. I was like, or like a pre-labor room. I, it was in the maternity ward. So <laughs> I don't know. And so they have me put on the gown and they're monitoring me and they give me the shot of the steroid to develop his lungs. And then my doctor came in and he sat down and he looked at me and he said, okay, Kanisha, so this is what we're going to do. Um, you're going to stay overnight. Uh, you are not allowed to eat um, because right now you're still like having contractions and you're not feeling them. He's like, so I'm concerned if I send you home, you're going to have this baby in your car when you're trying to come back to the hospital. That's it. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like, we're not having a baby. I didn't feel like it was time. Like in my psyche and my body wasn't telling me it was time in my opinion, but they were professionals. So I said, okay, whatever. And so um, I went to a teaching hospital. So there were residents like coming into my room and it was two of them. It was a young lady and it was a young man. And I remember them saying, oh, I heard we're having a baby tonight. And I said, wait a minute, is that the word on the street? Literally my comment to them. I was like, is that the word on the street? Is that I'm having a baby tonight? And she was like, oh, so no one's talked to you about this. And I was like, no, no one said anything about me having a baby. Like my doctor said, like, I'm staying here for observation. And in my mind, that didn't compute to I'm having a baby tonight. That's like computing to like, I'm going to chill out. You guys want to be cautious. I think I'm fine. My doula's freaking out. My husband like is like, what's going on? And I'm just sitting here. And so the <laughs> residents are looking at me like, I don't think we were supposed to say anything. And I was like, I don't know. But if you weren't, you're busted at this point. And so they leave. And then the other doctor who's on call comes in and She's like, oh, no, we're not saying that you are going to have a baby, but, you know, it's a likelihood that you probably will. And I said, that's the same thing as saying I'm going to have my baby today. I said, OK, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. I'm not going into labor. It's fine. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, so at that point, I had dilated from four centimeters to five centimeters in two hours. And so they were really under the impression that I was really going to go into labor. And so at that point, the doctor came back in. My next question was, when can I go home? <laughs> Because I, I didn't feel anything. And I was like, this isn't what labor is. Like, I'm not in labor. And he was like, you can't. Just relax, calm down. You're here for at least 24 hours because you have to get a second steroid shot. I said, okay. So we spent the night. We stayed there. The next morning, um, they checked me again. I had not progressed. My um, contractions had calmed down. So they weren't happening nearly as often. Um and so also something that they told me is that because I was past 34 weeks, they wouldn't stop me from going into labor early. So, and that was what my actual doctor said. He said, because you're 34 weeks, I won't, since you're past 34 weeks, I won't stop you from going into labor. He was like, we don't do any preventative measures at this point. Um, so we just kind of let your body do um, whatever it has to do, which is another thing. Like he wasn't really stressed out about me going into labor. He was just like, oh, we'll just give you a steroid shot and develop his lungs and just, you know, make sure everything's okay. And if you do have him, I think you'll be fine. I wouldn't worry too much about it. So he was still very calm and cool and collected. And he was never trying to push anything other than me staying at the hospital, which I did. Um, and so finally that next morning, I was like, can I go home? And they're like, fine, you can go home. If you have any problems, please, please call me um, and come back. And so I did have a doula and my doula was super stressed out. I felt so bad for Erin because she was like, oh my God, I'm just, I don't, I've never had this happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really concerned about you. Um, and so I guess I should backtrack. I did get a doula because I felt like 
we've never had a child before. We were kind of on a shorter time limit. I lost three months that I didn't even know about. So I felt like I would need extra support. Um, so we did have a doula. Her name was Erin from Detroit Doulas, and she was fantastic. So they sent me home with the letter of being on bed rest. So I said, okay, that's fine. Um, but what I also had to do was come in every week for ultrasounds because my baby was measuring small. And it was never, he, Dr. Prezado never presented, presented to me like it was an issue. He's just like, oh, he's a little bit smaller. We're just going to have, we're just going to check your, like, just um, do more ultrasounds. And for me, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I get to see my baby more. That's cool. I get to take some more time off of work, even though I was already on bed rest. I was trying to get back to work. And so I was like, it's fine. Um, And so every time I would go in, they would just run the ultrasound and everything. And he came up to me and he finally said, he said, yeah, I think he's just a small baby. He's like, nothing's wrong. He's just a small guy, um, which my son is still pretty much a small guy. He's like tall and lanky. That's, that's just who he is. Um, so I was on bed rest for two weeks. And then when I hit 39 weeks, I was six centimeters dilated and I had been contracting, but I hadn't, hadn't felt anything again. Um, they swept my membranes that week. Cause at that point I was just tired of being pregnant once you get to 39 weeks because I was 39 weeks in five days (laughs) so at that point I was just tired of being pregnant um I was waddling everywhere Michigan gets really hot in the summer and sticky and so I was like okay let's sweep my membranes and after I hit 37 weeks I was actually no after I hit 38 weeks I was actually clear to go back to work so I was at work for a week and a half before I went into labor um So he swept my membranes, and then that night I was texting my doula, and I was like, hey, I'm hoping I go into labor really soon, and then nothing happens. (laughs) So that was a Thursday. Friday I went to work. I was like, maybe I'll get into labor. I'll go into labor today because I'm, you know, doing some heavy lifting, whatever. Nothing happened. And then Saturday, still nothing. Sunday morning, yay, I woke up at 8.08 in the morning. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I had the mildest contraction. It was like just the, the slightest bit of discomfort. And so I was like, oh, this might be time. And so this whole time, like since I've gotten back to the hospital, anytime I even hiccup wrong, my doula's like, go to the hospital. I can't have you having a baby in the car. I can't make it in time. She's like, I won't be able to make it in time. I think you're going to go really, really fast when you do go. Um, in my whole time, like my mentality about giving birth, I had no fear. Like my mentality was like, I'm going to be in the most pain I've ever been in as of right now uh, for like 12 to 24 hours, maybe 48 if it's like, you know, stretched out. I was like, so I have to go in. I was like, he has to get here one way or the other. And so I literally had no fear. And People kept asking me, like, are you afraid of labor? And I'm like, no, I am excited to get in there, like get the work done so I can get past this part and eat whatever I want. I was like, I'm ready for labor. I was like, I was just so excited and like gung-ho and I never had any fear or nerves about it. And it just, it was insane. So like eight o'clock comes, I have my little contractions. It's 8 a.m. Um, Sunday morning, I have my contractions. I'm like, okay, I'm going to hang around the house a little bit. And I text my doula to freak her out, I guess. I don't know what I was doing. And so I text her and I'm like, hey, I'm having contractions. And she's like, go to the hospital now. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to hang around the house a little bit. You know, I'm just going to eat and walk the dog. And so I'm like doing all this other stuff. And she's like, okay. So then she's texting Phil on the side behind my back. My <laughs> 
And she's like, what's happening with Kanisha? Um, she says she's having contractions. I'm concerned. And feels like, yeah, she woke me up this morning saying she had contractions, but then she like was fine and she hasn't mentioned them still. And so I was still having contractions, but they weren't that bad. And so Phil was like taking his time and getting in the shower. And about 10 o'clock, I had a contraction that I had to like grab something for. And so I was like holding on to our island. I was like, this is different. This one. This one, this one has a little kick to it. Okay. And so, and I see Phil like slowly walking around the house and I was like, Phil, we need to go. We need to go. And he's like, okay. And he like gets in the shower and he gets out of the shower and I was like, we need to go. It's time. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go get something to eat. I was like, okay. And so he like goes to McDonald's and he like gets something to eat. And he gets me something to eat. It's like the worst thing you can eat is McDonald's before you go into labor. Just don't do it. Uh, so he gets me something to eat and I'm eating. And then I stop and I was like, no, seriously, we need to go. Like all bets were off at that point. And cause I had another contraction. I was like, we need to go. We need to go now. And he was like, okay, it's serious. It's serious. <laughs> I'm like, yes. So then he's texting Aaron. He's like, we're on our way to the hospital. So he finally gets to the hospital at 11 a.m. By that time, it's the same nurses I had when they thought I was going to go into labor at 35 weeks. And so everyone's joking like, oh, it's so good to see you again. Oh, it's about time. And everyone's really nice and joking. And I'm trying to like, everything's already pre-registered because I was already there literally a couple weeks ago. And so I'm just sitting at the, the table and I'm like laughing and joking. And every time something happens, sometimes I have to stop if my contractions are a little too uncomfortable. Um, but when I got to the hospital, they kind of slowed down and they weren't as intense. And so my doula gets there and by, I'm going to say 12, we were re- we were basically settled in because there was no one else on the floor giving birth but me that day. So when that happens, I don't know if anyone else has experienced that, but all the nurses want to hang out with you. <laughs> and so um, I was like, okay. And she's like, let's go and walk. You're like, let's just kind of get a break from the room. Um, we can go on walks. They weren't monitoring me or anything like that. And I was like, okay. And so we're walking around and my contraction started to pick up. And I was like, oh, this is getting it going. And it didn't get it going fast enough. At like five o'clock, I was still in the same position that I was in. I was still six or seven meters, centimeters dilated. Um, My contractions were not at all um, to the level they wanted them to be because I could still talk to nurses and stuff. And I was laughing and joking. And I know that one of the nurses said to me, because she had she was there with me when I was for my 35 weeks. She was the nurse that was there for the 12 hour shift. And she said, I'm going to leave because you're, uh, contractions are going to start getting rough and I don't want to see you like that. <laughs> and I told them, I said, I don't want an epidural. And so everyone that came in was like, why don't you want an epidural? It's crazy. I was like, I just want to see how long I can go. I was like, I don't have a preference. Like I'm not against it. It's just, I just want to see what my body can do on its own. Like, it's fine. If I get there, I'll take it. And so everyone's like, yeah, she's going to get to that position of we don't want to see her in that position, in that way of being like angry. And she's they're like, that's how everyone gets. I was like, okay, whatever. And so by the time 5.50 came around, the doctor who was on call, I think this is like one of the only things during labor and delivery that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. She said, I want to break your water. And I said, okay, that's fine. So I let them break my water at 5.50. And then by 6, maybe 6.10, she came back in and she said, if your labor doesn't start to progress soon, we might have to give you Pitocin. And this is not my doctor. And so I don't know her, but I'm like, no, technically full, like I, between the 24 hour mark of after your water breaks is when things become a concern. And I was like, 
I'm not taking Pitocin. I'm already seven meters, like seven meters, centimeters dilated. Why would I let you give me Pitocin when my body is doing the work? Um, it just didn't make any sense. So that was the only thing that kind of like really rubbed me the um, in the wrong way. Because at that point, we kind of had created my space with my doula and my mom was there and my husband um, or fiance then. And so we had created a really good space and for her to come in and you literally broke my water like 20 minutes ago and you come in and the next thing out of your mouth is we're going to give you Pitocin. No, you're not going to give me Pitocin. I am like one of those people who fight back at every turn. So I was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. I was like, we're not doing Pitocin. I was like, that's not happening. I was like, you literally just broke my water. I was like, no. And so my doula's sitting there and she's like, you're fine. You don't have to get Pitocin. I was like, I know. I am not getting it. We're not at that point that I need it. So why would it even be a suggestion out of your mouth? And it was kind of that feeling of she just wanted me to start going into labor on her time. And I was just like, I've already let you break my water. I'm not gonna, we're not doing this. Um, so at 6.50, she comes in and she says, hey, I want to check you. And I said, okay, fine. Which usually they don't like to check you after they break your water, but she went to check me um, because I wasn't making any progress, even though it literally had only been about 40 minutes. Um, and she's like, you have a second bag of waters. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? She's like, yep, you have a second bag of waters and I'm going to break that. And I said, okay. And so then they broke my bag of waters again, which I didn't even know you could have two bags of waters. I was really confused. And I was like, okay. And so there was like another gush. So they had to come and like change all of the sheets again. Um, because the first time they did it, it was a gush. And then the second time there was another gush. And so then my doula looks at me and she was like, you know, if you had two bags of waters, I feel like you probably could have went past 41 weeks because your water probably wouldn't have broken on its own. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, so they break my water after let's break my second bag of waters after that things started to progress um and had gotten to that point where i i'm a crier <laughs> and so when i'm mad or i'm in pain or if i'm happy or upset i just naturally like that's my body's instinct and so i had gotten to that point where um i was shaking and crying through every contraction and i couldn't relax my body um, and I had found myself like holding on to the bed and I was throwing things at people. And I was like, this is not okay. Um, I was like, this is not okay. I wanted like a peaceful space to go into. And I didn't have any like opposition for the epidural. And by this time I was like, okay. And my husband's like, yeah, you threw a towel at me. I was like, I am so sorry. I was like, I didn't mean to. I was just in a way. And my mom, she can't see me cry. So she was crying. And so the doula's comforting her. And I was like, but I'm the one over here going through it. You have two kids, mom. How do you not know what's going to happen? I was so confused by her reaction. And I was like, okay. She's like, I just can't handle seeing you like this. I'm like, I can't handle going through this. Help me. Okay. <laughs> so and so um, she's just, my mom is just very sweet like that. Like she could not see any of her kids in pain or crying or she's done. Um, so at about 948 is when I got my epidural and huge mistake. <laughs> huge mistake. It only took on my right side. And so I was telling them like, hey, I can feel all of my contractions on my left side. This is awful. And so then I start shaking really, really uncontrollably. And then I get the chills. Um, and Phil says that it took them about 45 minutes just to place my epidural, which I don't know why. Um, he's like, that was the scariest part of everything because we were, they had to leave out of the room. He's like, we were gone for so long that we didn't understand what happened. 
and that it took them so long before they got the clear to come back that he was actually really scared and nervous about that. Um, but yeah, so it only took on my right side. So then he told me to turn on my left side to see if it could work and nothing worked at that point. And I was like, it's not worth it. I'm shaking. Um, just nothing's helping. And I can still feel my legs. It was really strange. So after, after um, it was like a walking epidural that didn't take on the left side. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that, it was, so I had my epidural at 948. And I'm going to say maybe 10 minutes after that, I started to feel a lot of pressure down there. And I look over at my doula and I said, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. I think I need to push. And the nurse looks at me and she says, don't push. Your doctor is not here. And I said, okay. And then I look at my doula and I said, I'm pushing. (laughs) And so I literally, and I feel like no one talks about like how much the pressure is. I literally couldn't even lay on my backside. So I was holding myself up, gripping onto the hospital bed and just holding myself up because anytime I like let pressure or lay on my bottom, it was, it made it so much more worse. And it just made it so worse. It just, it was just, it was awful. Like, I can't even explain how bad that part of it was. Cause I'm sitting there, like you actually can't put that much force into pushing because I'm holding my butt up as well. And my dude is just like, it's okay. Just little pushes, little pushes, nothing major. And I was like, what's a little push? <laughs> and so I'm like doing these small pushes and no one's like, the nurses aren't looking at me and I'm just doing these small pushes and light pushes. And I'm like, it's making me feel better. And the nurse just runs in. She's like, your doctor is not here. Please do not let her push. And I'm just like, nope, nope, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And my doula's just sitting there like, it's okay. It's okay. And so finally they come in and my doctor comes in and he's just such a cool cat all the time. Like, I feel like an old lady saying cool cat, but he really is. Like he comes in and he has like this polo scrub on and he's like in no rush or hurry. He's like, hey, Kanisha, how's it going? And I was like, I think I'm going to have a baby. Like what's happening? He's like, okay, let's check you. And he checks me. And I literally have the video of this because I wanted to see it. Like, I would love to just be a bystander standing on the other side of it and looking directly into everything that's happening. Like, I'm that person. And so they're like, do you want a mirror? And I was like, yes. And so he comes in and he's like, okay. He's like, you feel this? And I was like, yeah, I feel it. And he's like, okay, now push there. And he was so good at directing. So he was adding pressure to a part in the vaginal opening. He's like, push there. And I was like, okay. And so he said, all right, stop, 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 stop. He says, you do three more pushes like that, your son's going to be here. And I said, well, let's get to work. <laughs> so I was just, I was over it at this point. And so I said, okay. And then I start pushing and I, God, I started pushing at 1052 and my son was born at 1055. Yeah, done. I was done. Like ring of fire, push through it. I was like, I don't care. I said, if he goes back in, we're not going to make it. So ring of fire. Push through it, done. Um, and my he actually had to stop me. Mia push. He's like, I need you to stop. He's like, I need you to slow down. He's like, take a breath. And I was like, <sighs> and I started pushing in. He's like, no, no, no. I need you to take a deep breath. And he's like, count with me. And so he counted and he was like, take a deep breath. And after that, I just pushed and he was out and he was crying and he was just the cutest little bald headed baby. <laughs> and he it was just um Oh, God, I don't even know how to explain. I thought I was going to cry, which is weird because I am a crier, but I didn't cry. I think I was just so shocked and I was so amazed by, A, how quick it went. And he was just this little 
furry human and he was fine and everything was great. And we, I feel like we had been through so much that I was like, this is, this is all worth it. This is the end game. And it was really, really great. Um, I had a, it was just, it was an awesome experience. So yeah, very quick pushing stage. I, like I said, I went in with no fear. I was like, it has one way or the other. <laughs> Kanisha was like, I'm ready to yeah, go. Don't play with me, y'all. Listen, I had no, I was like, no. And the nurse was like, most women stop pushing during the the ring of fire. And I was like, no, I've heard enough blogs and posts and I've read enough. I said, "Mm -mm, no, I said, I was going to keep pushing through girl. He was going to get out. (laughs) That's the mindset that we hope many people are able to birth and is not setting into that fear because the fear does it can take a hold and it can kind of hold you back and you sit in that. Um, and then our fight or flight comes up. And for many people, um, that fight or flight can also make pain more intense or um, kind of sizzle, not sizzle is not the word I'm trying to use, but <laughs> kind of, you know, um, hold yeah, back progression, yeah. sizzle. Um so being able to not birth in a place of fear um, is a really powerful tool. So it's beautiful to hear you like being like, no, I had no. none. I, I was didn't. ready. Um, I was ready to meet my son. I, mean, I went in with fear. <laughs> I would have I would have had that block of being stalled and, and just being too afraid to go through it. And like I said, that whole time I was like, I was ramping up, man. I was like, it's going to be like 48 hours of pain at the most. I can do this. <laughs> have to do it and once I just started I was like I'm not stopping there's no reason to stop because if he I can't do the groundhog thing which I heard a lot of babies doing I was like yeah no he, he's not we're not doing that <laughs> just can't yes yeah, so that was my birth story <laughs> you touched in a little bit about the second bag of waters and of course that could be kind of two things right um an actual second bag of waters but also having like one that just was broken at the bottom and not so much at the top. And so it can get a little confusing um, because if it's two separate bags, that that means that you may have had a vanishing twin, right? I've never heard that. Maybe I don't listen. Cause they, it could have been cause a resident did break my first bag and I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And he was up there for a long time to the point where everyone was looking around at each other. Like, Hey, it's just hanging out. We're trying to figure out what's taking so long. But I had the initial guts, like gush. So I was like, it's fine. And when she said two bags, I was like, that's the oddest thing. I've never heard that a day in my life. And she didn't describe no. it or go any deeper about no. that. Like, well, don't tell me I have a second bag of waters. Do I have another baby? Like, that said nothing. She was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, she didn't care. She was like, mm, no. This is the Pitocin lady. So she definitely didn't care. No. <laughs> She just didn't want to call out the incompetence. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Her, her trainee. That's what it was. Hearing your relationship with your doctor also is um, really great to hear, right? Having a relationship with someone who um, was able to do their job, but also make you feel empowered in your decisions, present you with the knowledge that you needed when you needed it. Um, in a way that kept you informed, but also allowed the space for you to do what you felt. Um, And I love that piece when you were like, yeah, I'm four centimeters dilated, having contractions, but I know in my gut, my psyche, it ain't time. 
like really trusting what your body and mind were telling you, like, cool, let's, I'm a, I'm a stay here. Cause y'all want to do your thing, but I'm going home. <laughs> that me all day. Every time someone came in, can I leave? Is it time for me to go yet? And then when they told me I could eat, I said, can you bring me Popeye's? Thank you. Like I was just done. Cause I knew, like I knew in my heart, I said, it's not ready. He's not done. I was like, my son is stubborn. He's going to need to be kicked out. He's not, he's not coming early. No. No, he's still stubborn to this day. No. <laughs> I was like, let me find out she stayed in the hospital from 35 weeks to full time. <laughs> I would have been the worst patient they would have ever had. They would have been like, she can't come back because every day I would have been, can I go home now? And that's another thing, like with my doctor, he was just, he was so great on that. There's not a problem until there's a problem. I won't make you more stressed or concerned about anything until there's a real problem. And I kind of wished um, labor and delivery nurses were great, but postpartum nurses, not so much. So I kind of wish they had that same mentality where they're, if there's not a problem, we won't mention anything until it is till it becomes a problem um, because it just adds a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, um, especially being pregnant. I think if he would have handled things a lot differently, um, I think I would have been in a, a worse off predicament, honestly, because I think the stress would have, it would have demolished me as a person. Um, so he he just handled that so gracefully. And I told him that and, um, you get the OBGYN care when you go there. He's not like a midwife or anything. So you don't get the hour long appointment. He's very factual. He's very to the point. He's very quick, but he's also phenomenal at his job. And most OBGYNs may not even cared enough about my father's history to take that into consideration to run further tests. Like he went above and beyond his job just because he felt something was odd. And I was like, that's what kind of sealed it for me. And I was like, if I ever have another child, I have to go back to Michigan. I don't, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Well, I was going to bring that up, like, especially for us as um, black and brown folks, knowing our family history can be, especially when it comes to like medical family history, it can be so tricky because for some of us going to doctors on a regular basis is not something that our family members did, um, or we're not always going and getting the care that we need. So there sometimes are a lot of gaps um, and it is, it, things do come up when we start having children and there's genetic testing done or there's questions about like, what's your family history? So to have someone who was like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. We're going to do something a little deeper just to ensure that you're okay. And now you have like information that you're able to carry through, through your family to serve them better about their own health yes. um, that you wouldn't have had if he wasn't like, okay, I'm not, I'm not just going to settle with, okay, that's what that past doctor said. Like, mm -hmm. no, it didn't make sense. We need to do some further testing. Yes. He was great. Tell us about postpartum for you. Oh gosh. Postpartum for me was another, um, when can I leave? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so disclaimer, like, how I went about this is I had a lot of friends who were actually pregnant around the time that I was pregnant. Um, and I don't think any of them were African-Americans. And so when I went into it, um, I was always really afraid of not being heard. Like that was a real, that was the fear of mine. It was never labor and delivery. It was going in like having, like me having to fight for what I deserve as a person and as a woman. And I knew that just, it was going to become a moment <laughs> because I had already had like an instance where someone kept asking me if I was sure if I had an abortion or not. And I was just really confused. I was like, I'm 
sure I've never had an abortion before. Um, and so she asked me three times. I'm like, I'm positive. <laughs> this is my first child. And so it was small things like that that kind of prepped me for what it was going to be like once I um, left my actual OBGYN and had to get into services of someone that I didn't know. And so um, labor delivery nurses were great. I had already known them. And so when I went to my postpartum room, um, I guess the mommy and kids suite, I don't really know what they call it. Um, it was very, very difficult for me. So I went in and I found a lot of fighting with nurses for things that I felt were um, best for my child. And so that was really, really hard for me because I feel like I shouldn't have to fight with a nurse for something that is right for my child. And so what happened was I was actually breastfeeding and that's something I really wanted to do is I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted to try it. Um, and a nurse, I had already talked to a lactation consultant and I said, hey, I just don't want to wake him up every two hours to nurse him. If his blood sugar is fine and everything else is fine, then I just kind of want to let him sleep and he can nurse when he's ready because we were having a really hard time with his latch. And so he would become really frustrated. I would become really frustrated. And so I don't think it was helping anyone at that time. And so the lactation consultant said, yes, that's completely fine. You don't have to wake him up every hour, every two hours to nurse. And I said, okay, great. And so there was a nurse on staff and she came in and she was like, have you woken your son up to eat? And I said, no, I haven't. I talked to the lactation consultant and she told me it was okay to wait like three or four hours to wake him up before he nurses as long as his blood sugar and his levels are fine, which they were. And she's like, well, you shouldn't do that. You need to nurse him every hour. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wake him up every hour because he just had a traumatic experience just like myself because going through a birth canal is not easy. And so, you know, after speaking to the lactation consultant and his pediatrician, I'm not doing that. And she's like, you need to do that. And I was like, no, I don't. I said, I don't have to do that. And I was like, I've already talked to a lactation consultant. And she's like, well, I'm going to talk to her myself. And I said, fine, <laughs> talk to her yourself. I don't care. It's, I'm still not doing it. And then so finally she comes back 15 minutes later and she says, oh, well, I spoke to the lactation consultant. She said, it's fine. And, and my response was, yes, I told you that it was fine because I had already spoken to her about the regimen of nursing my son. And so after that, her and I never were on good footing. And like, we just, after that was just really kind of in the mindset of when can I go home? Um, just because I didn't have that comfort of just being left alone, especially when it came to that particular nurse. Um, and so she was very much one of those and she would come in and just say, what have you pumped and how much did you pump? And it was just very intrusive. And so at that point, um, the next day, I only had to stay two days. By the time they gave me the okay to go, like we were up and packed by 7 a.m. that morning. That's how like we were done because I felt so um, just, I just kind of felt like she was trying to bully me. And the bad thing is like you picked the wrong one to bully because I'm not an easy person to bully. Like I'm only 5'3", but I don't care. Like you can't come in and bully me about my child, especially when I've already spoken to his pediatrician and the lactation consultant. And so my son was six pounds, one ounce. And so she's like, well, he's small. You don't want him losing any more weight. And if he does, you won't be able to leave. So then it felt like you were threatening me and saying like, my if my child like first of all babies lose at least 10 percent of their weight and so if my pediatrician told me that's fine and if we need to supplement then we can supplement I was like but that's not for you to tell me and it kind of came off as a threat and I was like 
I need to get out of here. And so um, after a shift change, another nurse would come in and she was really sweet. Um, and she was just like, oh, your baby's fine and, and he's great. And But she did warm and she said, when your second day, second day at home is really hard. And that's what she told me. She's like, for some reason, I don't know why. She's like, moms have a really hard time um, the second day. So the hospital stay was awful. And then when I got home, it was kind of, oh God, I'm not crying again. It was kind of um in that mindset that he was small. And it made me so infuriated because like she just kept saying like he's small and if he loses weight, he won't be able to go home. And his pediatrician cleared him. I said, not every baby has to be eight pounds. He's fine. And so day two, when I finally got home that afternoon, I remember I was nursing and I got really frustrated because I was like, I don't know if he's eating enough because everyone keeps on saying he's small. And it was just really, really frustrating. So I supplemented with milk and he threw up right after it. And I just got so frustrated because I didn't want him to lose the weight. And it's just, it was just really stressful. And she was right. Oh God, that second day home was just absolutely awful. And I think a lot of it too was just the pressure of and it wasn't my doctor or pediatrician calling him small. It was literally like the nursing staff. And I was like, how is that okay? It was just insane. I was like, he's not a 10-pound baby. That's fine. Oh, God. It was just frustrating because it was like something I fought with for a long time. Because even when he would go to like new doctors, the nurse, it was always the nurses. The nurse is like, oh, he's a little guy. And I'm like, he's not. And so when you're nursing, it's kind of just like you don't know what's going on. But he never had went to the doctor or the pediatrician. They never said you need to supplement. So he was growing fine. And he did lose a little bit of weight. And that's what most babies do. And I'm like, it's perfectly normal. But for you to sit here and say, oh, if he loses this much weight, like you can't go home. And for you to act like that, it's just insane. And it kind of like planted a negative seed in my head when I went home. And I'm thinking he's not nursing and eating enough. And then I'm like overfeeding him on formula when he didn't even need it. And he's like throwing up on himself and I'm freaking out. And so like that was the catalyst of me just being like, I just can't deal with like that comment. So even now when people say like, He's small. I'm like, yeah, he's a tiny guy. He's not a he's not a huge child, but he's perfectly healthy. I'm like, just stop. Um, so that's like been a big thing was like, oh God, sorry. I didn't think I was gonna get so upset about it. But I just remember the feelings of going home that second day and just freaking out. And my mom is like, you need to relax. This is your second day. Like you're finally home. She's like, you need to relax and calm down. He's fine. And in my mind, all I'm hearing is, he's small, he's tiny. But no one ever, like, my pediatrician never said anything about his weight. My doctor said he's small, he's just a small guy, it's fine. So how, how is it that, like, the, the nurse thinks it's okay to, like, just say these things to new moms and just think it's okay? And I was just like, all right, whatever, you're awful and I was just done so um after that second day though I was I was fine and after talking to my mom and she was kind of just like you and my doula also was kind of just like you know he's he's fine and he's not even small they act like he's four pounds he's literally a six pound baby he was 20 inches long I'm like he's just lean and long that's just who he is and so um 
that was kind of like the big thing for me. Nursing was a little bit difficult, but it wasn't too trying. Um, I did have surgery when he was six months old. I had a um, stone, saliva stone removed. So I had to actually go under surgery. It's in and out surgery, but it did decrease my milk supply. So I was only able to nurse until he was eight months. And then he was on formula, um, which is insane. So I didn't even feel bad about putting him on formula because I was I was always a fed is best. Like that was my mindset all the time. Um, and so once I was like, he's not getting enough, I was like, okay, it's time to switch to formula. And like, that was the easiest decision um, I had ever made instead of like going home and just trying to nurse my baby, which was terrible because I just had this mindset that he wasn't getting enough milk because I never could measure how much he was getting. And so, um, that was pretty rough. And then one thing that I think no one had ever told me about was like your organs shifting back to where they're supposed to go. And I remember just sitting on the couch one day and I was like, I think I'm having a heart attack or something's happened. Like something weird was happening to my body and I couldn't breathe properly. And I was like, what is going on? And then I was just sitting there and my husband's gone because his family was in town and everyone was giving me a break. Um, to just be with me and Mav. That's my son's name. His name is Maverick. <laughs> and so um, they kind of left me and I was sitting there and I was starting to freak out. And I was like, Kanisha, calm down, calm down. You can't freak out. You have a kid here. And I really think it was just my body trying to like get back to its normal um, form. And it was so, it was so weird. Cause no one had ever said anything about like how they felt when I guess their body is kind of reforming back to its normal shape. And like your organs are trying to go back to where they're supposed to be. Cause at that point they're, they're literally just shoved up <laughs> when the baby comes in. And so no one had ever told me about that. And so I was like, man, I prepared for all the wrong things. Like, you know, the massage after you have the baby, like I thought that was going to be bad. I was laughing when I got it done. I was like, this feels great. It tickles. And they're like, you're weird. And I was like, okay. But like, no one told me about organs shifting back down. So that was like a big thing for me that like freaked me out. And I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. Um, but other than that, yeah, postpartum, I had a small first degree tear. So that healed perfectly fine which was great um but that was it just fighting with people calling my baby a small guy you know that was <laughs> the main parts of it yeah it's interesting that people don't necessarily see the words that are triggers to people during that space and that time um while it's happening um and how scary that could be for someone when you're thinking about Oh, my baby's little. And you think about what we're all talking about right now with these ideas of medical kidnapping. Mm -hmm. um, that's really a hot topic right now. And that's scary for a parent to hear that because then it starts to trigger into, I don't want them to take my baby, so I'm just going to do whatever they want me to do, mm -hmm. right? We're going to do the formula. We're going to do whatever it is they need to do to be able to leave with my child. And then sometimes the formula is just not it, Right. Um, it's giving mom and baby time to actually connect and build that milk supply, being close to each other without fear. Like you've gone through this whole labor without fear and boom, now you're scared your baby's going, not going to grow, right? Um, I'm glad that at least the pediatrician and the doctor were supportive because I always remind moms like, when you talk about a growth chart and these things that we're talking about, somebody has to be on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be on the lower end for there to even be an average, right? And so remembering that 
looking at your family like we're little people are you know what I mean like we don't get that big sorry like, you gotta start off it's gradual growth yeah. is gradual right and it's annoying right and sometimes nurses are and it's not a, a kick in a butt to a bunch of nurses because I, I respect their work but they're often very stuck on numbers because mm-hmm. that's that's their job. Their, their accountability is to the numbers and they have to pause to see the full picture. Right. It's really important. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So any advice is just watch what you say. Cause some things are just like, and I, I mean, I've never, like I have a friend now who's her baby is just the cutest, chunkiest little, I just, I'm in love with it, but I would never say to her, Oh, that's a big baby you got there. Like, and like people, and she tells me that people say that to her, and she's like, Am I feeding her too much? Like, am I doing too much? And I was like, She will tell you when she's done eating. I said, Don't let people shame your baby. And she's literally six months old. Let that girl eat. <laughs> like, and so it's just insane. It's insane what people will say to new moms or moms in general and just think, that's that's an okay thing to say, especially when you're like you said in the space that you're in, and you're such a in a fragile space. And I just kind of wish that my postpartum was at least at the hospital was as great as my labor and delivery was, because at that point, like I said the labor and delivery nurses I knew they were very nice. Um, they talked to me, they knew me by first name. It was awesome. And then I go into this, and I'm thinking I'm having a bonding moment. I'm fighting with nurses in the morning, and it was just insane. So that would just people should just be really cognizant and aware of what you say to pregnant women to new moms old moms I don't care if you have five kids don't you shouldn't say certain things um you just don't know what people have been through so that was a hard one for me (laughs) well is there anything else from your journey from your experience from now um with Maverick that you want listeners to know any more resources, just anything else advice that you'd like to leave them with? Um, I think my advice to moms is just don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, Just take it easy. And those rough days, they go by. They really do. They pass by. And then you have those days when, even if it's when you have, when they're sleeping and you have to go in there and remind yourselves that they're angels, even if it's just when they're sleeping, that's completely fine. Um, but yeah, just try and be really, don't be hard on yourself. Try and be realistic. I think that's a lot. And I have like a couple of friends who are moms now and I tell them all the time, I'm like, try and be realistic and try and take your like mind, body and soul into consideration. Cause you can't do everything. You will never be able to do everything. I tried to be that mom. Um, it did not work out for me. Um, and be open to talk about pers- postpartum depression. Um, I didn't have postpartum depression, but like I had spoken to my mom and my husband about it. And my mom, I just want to share this. My mom, um, she's so great. She said that she, and it was it was back in the, not the days, but I was born in 1990. And so she said like, after she had me, she would go out on the porch and sit by herself and cry after she gave birth. And I was like, mom, I think you were in postpartum depression. And she was like, no, I think that's just the way things were. And she's like, you know, we just didn't talk about it. And she's like, I would just go outside after everyone was asleep and I would just cry on the porch. And I said, I don't think you're supposed to feel that way. I'm like, you are, you have your feelings, but you should share that and not have to keep that burden to yourself. I was like, that's sad that you had to like go outside and feel like you had to deal with it by yourself. Cause 
no one spoke about it or no one talked about it. And so that's like, that was a big thing for me during um, when I was pregnant is I wanted people to be really aware of postpartum. And if they saw signs that maybe I wasn't seeing myself, like I wanted people to be aware and know, like, if you feel the need to pull me and tell me like, hey, I think you're not taking care of your mental health as well as you should because you're trying to do so much. I want you to do that because it just makes me sad that my mom didn't have someone to help her at that time. And like, she wouldn't tell my dad or anyone. And that's just very, very like, that's just not okay. So anytime I felt down or like in a bad place, I would always go to film like, hey, I need help. I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like I'm being a bad mom. And he would always come and like help pull me out. So I think just talking about those negative feelings that you have as a parent, um, it's normal. Honestly, it really is just being exhausting, being exhausted, being a parent just and trying to be yourself as well. It's, it's a it's a rough job. And I just want mamas to know that you guys are amazing. I never knew what it was like until I got there. So it's, 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 it's a lot more work than we all thought it was until you go down that road, right? And you're like, oh man, uh, that's a real thing. So uh, that's it. Just don't be so hard on yourselves. Um, I don't really have very many resources, honestly, because I tried the the natural or the go to what to expect when you're expecting, but it like creeped me out because it was like all the bad things. And I was like, I have enough bad things. I don't want to read it. I don't want to read it. Um, so um, I went out looking for podcasts to listen to women's birth stories and I stumbled upon you guys and it was amazing. Um, my I just really wanted to find a podcast that supported women of color because like I said, oftentimes I found that my... Um, friends who were not African-American never didn't have the same concerns I had going into labor and delivery. So when I found this podcast, I thought it was amazing that I could hear these stories. Cause I'm like, yes, I've been there. I've done that. Yes. I've had that experience. It wasn't just me. It's not just in my mind saying I'm crazy. No, it's a real thing. Um, so that was really, really nice to have. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> we are glad to be that resource. Yeah, for you. So appreciate that. But thank you for sharing your journey with us today. Um, We are extremely grateful. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate the work that you do, giving people that option to kind of hear broad stories about birth. Because I'm, I've turned into like not a birth nerd, but I still listen to birth stories to this day. I listen to them all the time. I'm just excited. I'm like, I'm ready for number two. I got to move back to Michigan, though, like I said. (laughs) We're not doing this anywhere else with anyone else, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I just wanted to thank you ladies so much for uh, giving us a platform to speak about our stories. So, greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Root, restoring our own through transformation. ROOT is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. ROOT's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to ROOT at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general-info at rootrj.org.